and welcome to Stay Sure, Jason, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. My name is Justin Twyford, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, besides giving me a hard time about fluffing the introduction today, how are you? Well, you look, the introduction, you wrote it, and, and you put in, for a man who's recording at, what, six o'clock in the morning or something, you put in a real tongue twister there. Blah, blah, blah. I did, yeah. And I, I live to regret it this morning. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my coffee longingly and not wanting to slurp into the microphone. Oh, oh everybody likes a slurp, Justin. I, I'm very, very well. I'm enjoying uh, summer is here in all its glory. Mm -hmm. uh, I was playing golf this morning in the blazing sun. I mean, oh, I'm a lucky, lucky boy. How are things in Canada? I did something weird yesterday, Stu. I ate out. Well, Ooh. outside, but at, actually at a restaurant. First time since probably October, November last year. So, wow. Cool. Yeah, my wife uh, has started her radiation therapy. And of course, the hospital in the town nearest to us doesn't do this. It has to be in the city that's about an hour drive from us. So I drove her up there. She had like a six o'clock appointment right at dinner time. And we drove around half a dozen different restaurants, found one that had a nice patio that we could sit outside and went and had a, a flight of beer. Nice. So it was a craft beer place. It was, it was just lovely and a, a wonderful, wonderful food. And it, it almost felt normal apart from the fact that, uh, Mrs. T had just had her radiation therapy, but, uh, you know, all was good. It was nice. The weather was good. <sighs> it was a good day. I was a lucky boy too. Excellent. Splendid. Hmm. What you got for follow-up this week? Uh, follow -up. Oh, yes, Dead Poets Society. Um, we watched about, oh, what did we manage? I think about 20 minutes of it, and then Mrs. L was like, well, I, I, I need to go to bed. Can we watch this another time? Which is her way of saying, no, completely disinterested in this. <laughs> um, she, she keeps saying to me occasionally, she said, oh, yeah, yeah, we should watch that. Um, but it's definitely the if hell freezes over sort of approach, I think, to TV. I watched it. I enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, probably not as much as I remembered it, but um, I still loved it. Um, I, I guess because I was a rebel at school, um, because I got thrown out of school, because school wanted me to be a scientist and I wanted to be a linguist. And, um, and I was just rebel without a clue. I suppose that's what really, really appeals to me about that movie. But no, I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Excellent. And you're watching Stranger Things, I see, in the show notes. Well, I've watched it um, as, as much as one can. Um, I got very excited when I saw, oh, oh season four. And of course, uh, being old, I didn't understand this whole, this is the end of volume one and it's a split season. And, and uh, <laughs> suffice to say, they put out seven episodes, which I consumed in a rush. And they went, oh. You know that thing when Netflix goes on to another show and you're like, well, hang on. Mm, that didn't make that sense. That can't yeah. be right. There must be more episodes. Uh, and so then I had to get onto Google and go, no, no, the last two of the season are coming in, in July. Mm. Oh. I, I watched uh, Ozark that they did the same thing, the final season yep. for that. They did it yeah, in yep. two parts and it drove me nuts. Mm. I, I watched it as well. Yeah. But anyway, look, I love Stranger Things. I think it's brilliant. I love the nostalgia. I love the imagery. I love the the fantasy. I, I, I think it's brilliant. I will give it the opinion 
as somebody great once typed in, yes, we should watch that. <laughs> if hell freezes over. <laughs> Splendid. Well, tell me, what's been your tool of the week then, Justin? I've been playing with universal control on my Macs and iPads. I talked about it uh, a little while ago when it first came out. Uh, it's been getting better with some of the point upgrades. It's lovely. I've got... Uh, one Mac laptop, I've got my big, stupid, expensive monitor with my other laptop, and I have my iPad on the other side. And I could just sit and work between all three of those, depending what I'm doing, which is absolutely brilliant when it works. Excellent. It all sounds very exciting. Have you tried it yet? Yeah, I use it from time to time. I mean, all of my sort of computing has been moving towards single tasking, so... Um, it kind of runs against that, but I use it for studying. So I will, um, I'll watch, um, YouTube and I'll put that onto the iPad screen, which is quite small, but it means that I've got my laptop screen for taking notes, which is, is kind of where, where I want my focus to be is, is what I think rather than what the people are telling me. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoy that. Um, it's like a multi-monitor system, but tiny, mm. <laughs> it's sort of, sort of really small, compact system. Um. And I, I love my little iPad. Uh, she's beautiful. I've, I've decided that all of my IT needs to have names. So um, the, the iPad mini is called Iris. Um, and that's because she's got that lovely purple cover. Um, and my iPhone is called Ruby because that's a, um, uh, a product red. Uh, the laptop has got a, I've got a skin on my MacBook Air. So it's called Woody because it's a wooden case. And I don't have a name for the mini yet. So that's that's my task for this week is to come up with a name for my mm -hmm. clearly i need help apparently <laughs> though i was just i was just laughing because my wife is giving me a hard time the other day um she was what were we doing she was doing something and it asked her to connect to gandalf <laughs> and gandalf is my phone because it's magical ah yes and she was complaining that only me would uh, name my phone something weird like that, that she confused her when she was uh, trying to, I think she was airplane to something and uh, it wanted to send it to Gandalf. Anyway. So clearly you need help as well. It's not just me. Good. Splendid. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, let's face it. iPhone is so ubiquitous that everybody uh, has, has the name iPhone somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I, I change mine so I can find it in the crowd, as it were. Mm -hmm. So you can airplay to the right thing. Yeah. All right. What are you writing with this week? Uh, what am I writing with this week? Oh, yes. Uh, it's my Twisby 580AL. So that's, um, it's not the biggest Twisby. The biggest, biggest Twisby is the VAC 700. But this is quite a chunky pen. It's a full-size fountain pen. It's a demonstrator like all Twisbys. Uh, it's a 1.1 stub uh, nib here. So uh, stub is, I suppose, italic is another name for it. So the uh, cross strokes are very fine. The down strokes are very broad. There you go. There's a, there's a, that's what a stub nib is, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks very much. I'm here all week. Um, and... It is filled with a diamine Bach from the music collection, uh, which is a sort of brown, gentle, subtle brown. Very nice. What color is your AL? Uh, the AL, I've got the, the, the sort of chrome, you know, sort of raw AL. Ah, the, the, the aluminum looking AL for the AL and aluminum. Yes, the original, the OG AL. Oh, wow. Cool. 
I, I went to all fancy this week for mine. I went to the Platinum Century Fujin Region. Fujin Region? Sounds like an upset Scotsman. I think it's an upset uh, Japanese um, mythical character. Uh, Fujin Region are a couple of, I think it's the God of Rain and the God of Thunder. Oh, wow. In Japanese style. These are, it's a Makie pen which is using hand applied gold leaf and then the Makie characters on it. So it's really, really nice. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not a cheap pen, but it's not a terribly expensive Makie pen. So I, I really love it. It's, it's platinum. So the, the, the nib is just fantastic in it. Um, I put uh, Namiki black in it, which is surprisingly two things. One, I don't use black ink very often. Uh, and two, this is a very thin nibbed pen. This Namiki black ink is a really thick, wet writer. It just flows so nicely onto the page, which is surprising and lovely at the same time. So I'm just having a lot of fun with this one. It's just so pretty to, to look at though. I'm not sure I'll ever take it anywhere because it's one of those delicate, expensive looking pens with all the Mackie mm -hmm. Sure. That's nice. I don't have any Mackie pens. It's some I've always looked at them sort of slightly askance. And I've um we used to do the pen show every year in, in London. And I would I would be running my little Nero's desk and you know, selling notebooks for nine pounds fifty. And um the greatest thing about the pen show for me as a exhibitor is I got to see all the the, the pre-show trade deals. Oh. Where, the, where the different traders are wandering around looking at each other's stuff. Um, and there's a guy who people who go to the American um, shows will, will might know is called Sarge. Um, it's an Indian guy. And uh, he's he's got this a massive array of vintage pens. But he has a lot of Namiki and um, of Makie generally. And the amount of money that I saw changing hands. I mean, there was one pen that he had that I, I was looking at, you know, and he, he said, oh, yeah, have a look, you know, you can, uh, you can, you can dip it if you like. I said, oh, it's beautiful. It's great. How much is it? 35,000 pounds. Oh, oof. Can I take two? Yeah. I think I'll just gently give that back to you and back away. <laughs> Thanks very much. Or trade um, for a notebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I could give you a field notes. They're very hard to get these. I've, I've got a very early black wing pencil over here. You know, I could, <laughs> we can make a deal. Wow. I bet you it was lovely though. It was, I mean, all of those vintage pens, particularly if you're talking to someone who knows about them, understands them and can tell you is that what, one thing I would say about people at pen shows and such, especially very, very honest, very straightforward. And they'll say to you, you know, this one would be worth 6,000, but because of this, it's only worth that. Or, and it's just, just fascinating to me, but fascinating in that sort of, I'm really happy being on the edge of that and looking at it and going, yeah, that's nice, but I don't want to get down that rabbit hole. Just mm. A, because of the price, and B, because it just, I know that I would take a pen like that and put it in a case and probably not use it very much. And that would mm. just be, I, I don't know if I could bring myself to do that. All right. Just so the listeners know, because I do like to spend money on stupid things, I did not spend $35,000 on this <laughs> No, indeed not. Uh, it was more in the range of about 400 US. So it's it's an affordable version. <laughs> And certainly if he had spent 35,000, he wouldn't be admitting it here. So you'll never know. Mm. 
yes, uh, I definitely wouldn't because uh, my wife may at some point listen to this <laughs> and there's no way she would ever let me do that. Mm -hmm. uh, she wants to spend my money in different ways. That's all a different story. Now, talking of wives, what's our topic for this evening? <laughs> okay, best segue ever. <laughs> I love that. That's great. All right, our topic for today is how to handle criticism. I have no idea how this relates to my wife, but um, yeah, right. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. I wanted to talk about criticism and how to handle it because a couple of reasons, you know, professional criticism is what it is. Um, you sort of get paid for a job and that sort of comes with you having to put up with a few critiques here and there, you know, you're, you're putting your, your profession on the line, if you like. Um, but, uh, the other day I shared something online, you know, just in one of the fun things I did, it, it had nothing to do with any financial component at all. And I got a couple of snarky comments about it. And I just thought, you know, how do you handle criticism? Because it came away and it, it hit me a little harder than it probably should have for an anonymous troll on the internet. Mm. And so I thought it'd be an interesting one because you know, both as, as leaders in organizations, Stu and myself also have to critique. Um, and also, you know, we have probably at our stage in the career had to handle quite a bit of criticism. Mm -hmm. So I kind of thought it'd be an interesting discussion to have, um, you know, as this ties back to productivity, I wanted to take my toys and go away when I got some negative criticism. I wanted to shut myself in a little box and not do anything. And if you're in a workplace, that can be extremely hazardous. So I thought I would explore this with Stu and do a bit of a deeper dive, a, a, a critical dive on criticism. Oh, a critical dive on criticism. You are all about the tongue twisters today. <laughs> Apparently from the intro, yes. <laughs> all right, Stu, what do you think about criticism? Any thoughts? Uh, well, criticism. Um, have I had criticism? Yeah, I've had lots of it. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm quite self-aware and, um, I early in my career, I made a couple of um, <laughs> mistakes and a couple of predictions that turned out to be completely wrong. <laughs> and I don't know, they, they kind of stuck with me that um, it's really easy to get something wrong. And for some reason, I don't know quite how I've done that, but that's all become very positive to me. Um, so, uh, one of them was, um, I, I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast before, but the money in the bin. No, I haven't heard this one. Uh, as a, as a manager of a bureau de change, uh, on the Rue de Bussy in Paris which is in the, uh, the sixth arrondissement. It's very trendy. It's lovely there. Uh, you know, uh, I was, you know, living the dream. I was the branch manager, little branch. So I would work the mornings with a cashier and then there would be an afternoon cashier. And long story short, we had changed banking supplier. So what usually happened would be that I would be sent uh, a rounded amount of French franc stock to buy currency with, to buy dollars and Travis checks, etc. So I would have, let's say, 100,000 francs would be sent to me. And twice a week, you know, I would do an order with my head office and they would consolidate all the branches and they'd put these orders in. 
And so I'd ordered, again, for the sake of the argument, 100,000. And the idea was that you ordered a little bit less than you were sending in, in currency. Um, because, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, as it were. Or it does. Anyway, <laughs> so I'd banked 112,872 French francs worth of currency and requested 100,000 in denomination A, B, C, D. And so the bags came, the security guard comes, you know, ah, bonjour, how are you? Boom, 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 gives you the big bag, you give him the bag. Au revoir, see you next week. Ah, you know, it's good. So I ripped open the bag and pulled out my big bundles. There are my 500s, my 200s, my 100s, my 50s, my 20s, 100,000, brilliant, thanks very much. Just as I'm getting ready to close, close down my till at the end of the sort of afternoon, mm-hmm. get a phone call from head office. Stuart, have you had your banking? Yep. Was it right? Yeah, it was fine. Oh, right. Okay. So what's the problem? Well, they say that they were sending direct equivalents. At... Really? No, no, no. No, I got 100,000. And this went on and went on and went on, four or five calls, until eventually I went, oh, hang on. And I went outside to the big sort of bin on the street where I'd recently emptied my little desk bin, pulled out the banking bag, and in it found an envelope containing 10,786 francs, or whatever the the, the number was. (laughs) I phoned up the head office. Uh, Lads, (laughs) it's all right. Found it. Um, Which... Clearly, I've got a fair amount of stick for, because that's probably a, a key function of managing a bureau of charge is not to throw money in the bed. Um, mm-hmm. And another one was when we first started doing uh, money transfer. Uh, I said, I can't really see that money transfer is ever going to be a, a big business. And then Western Union, MoneyGram exploded, took over the world and made millions, billions even. I, I get criticism at work all the time, partially because I'm delivering messages that people don't want to hear. Okay, no, nobody likes the compliance side of a business. So you're talking to salespeople, you're talking to people who are really motivated to do business, and you become the department of no. <laughs> you know, you're the one that says, mm, you, you might want to look at that before you... And people don't like that. They don't like to hear it. And so if they're upset with the laws or the rules or the regulations, they will vent that at me. Mm. And it's my job just to sort of soak that up and turn it back into... Um, you know, a healthy feedback loop where I say, yeah, I know what you're saying, but this is what the law is and this is what the regulation is. And this is how you can make sure that you don't fall foul of it. So I think that schools me quite well. Um, and for personal feedback, I think I find um, I'm probably my own harshest critic. And generally speaking, I find that when people want to be critical of me personally, they're probably right. <laughs> I probably know that I've, you know, done A or not done B or, or whatever I'm being criticised for. So I, I, I don't struggle with this. I'm trying to think if there was a time when I was younger, I was very much a people pleaser, and so, you know, if if my boss was upset that time in in Paris where you know my bosses were upset with me, I, I oh, you know, it was, it could make me blush. I could go home and think about it and blush. Just because, oh, I can't believe I did that. I, I wanted to turn back time. But it did teach me a lesson. So I, I put in the show note um, a, a quote from Sir Winston Churchill, 
who said, criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the human body. It calls attention to an unhealthy state of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I try and view criticism as something that is, uh, something's not right. Often I find that the criticism is, is not actually relevant and is not direct, but it is an expression of something is not right, the unhealthy state of things. Um, and so I try and use it as a, as a positive. I'm curious though, why, I mean, you're, you know, uh, a CFO, um, you, you must be used to getting a bit of a kick in the chops, um, work-wise. Oh, definitely. So why did you take it so personally for, for a private project? Yeah, well, this is, this is the part that I wanted to kind of talk about. I know you publish a lot on the internet and you, you, you know, writing is very, very personal. So I was kind of curious what your thoughts on this were, um, you know, professional criticism, you know, certainly is, is easier for me to take because, you know, I'm paid to do a job. I'm paid to be a professional. And when I screw it up, generally I know, and I'll take my licks. Uh, I was listening to your story of throwing the cash out and remember today, I don't want to even think about how long ago it was that I was working on a large construction project and realized there was some overruns and I made some changes and it was quite funny because um, the professional boffins in our head office um, made, incorporated these changes into the estimates and well, that morning I walked into my office and I, I got a question from my boss. Hey, come and talk to me. What's going on here? And then my phone started ringing. So my boss was, you know, the, the VP of the Canadian branch. And then all of a sudden the controller from the, the head office started calling and, and then the CFO from the head office started calling and then the CEO from the head office started calling. And it was like this progressive chain of people chewing a piece off my ass. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because it was like, okay, but these are the numbers. They're real. This is what's happening. And it was just because, you know, the way that people account for things, all of a sudden it, it, it made the month look bad and everybody was so worried about the reporting that they came down like a ton of bricks on me and I was in the right and I did the, the best that I could do. And these are the facts. And certainly that is a lot easier to take, you know, professional criticism, as you said, you know, if you throw out the cash, you know, you did that, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's not something you should do and you kind of take your licks with it. Sure. I find it, you know, Sharing stuff is a lot different. You know, I'm not a professional writer. I'm not a professional anything other than just, you know, what I, what I get paid for. But sometimes when you get these, I don't know if they're meaning well, or, you know, sometimes they're just nitty little comments. Hmm. Uh, I posted something, a picture online and something I was, I was interested in. I thought it was cool. And I got a couple of little, you know, little nitty negative comments. And I I thought about it. It's like, I just don't want to post anymore. Why don't I want to post anymore? Well, I just, this is a fun thing. I don't want to open myself up to that level of scrutiny. And I kind of thought about this and was wondering, you know, why that was. I'm not sure why it, it is 
uh, affected me so much, you know, just uh, a big, you know, middle finger is like, you know what, if you don't want to see what I want, don't what I want to share. Um, I don't even know these people, you know, it's like random, random people on the internet, mm. um, posting comments on something that I posted. And it's like, you know, why do you do what you do if that's sort of the reactions you get? And it's a very negative place. You know, perhaps there's uh, an underlying insecurity there. You know, I'm posting something up, I'm sharing it. It's not, it's, it's not a professional thing. It's not polished. It's not developed and, and to the point where I would put it out and reviewed and uh, revised and, you know, all of these different things. Are we in a society now where the expectation is that, you know, an Instagram picture, an Instagram selfie has to be run through 30 different filters to make your eyes bigger and you can only post it from this weird angle above your head and, you know, what, what happened to just, you know, taking a snapshot and, and sharing it or posting a thought and, and having that thought just be a random thought, you know, do we have to sort of think about what the impact is? Um, social media has changed, you know, uh, the way that we do things. I kind of post things up for people that I care about that follow me. I want to see their stuff. They want to see my stuff. Hopefully, um, here's something interesting I want to share. And uh, it was just a very interesting dilemma that I had uh, thought about. Do you get a lot of criticism, critiques, uh, positive or negative, uh, about things such as your writings do? Because you post a lot on the interwebs. Uh, right. A um, couple of things that I learned early on. Uh, so on my blog, there are no comments. So uh, whatever anybody thinks, they can, they can find a way to get it to me, but they can't put it on my blog. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the amount of spam that you get is is horrific, uh, and it becomes a a management task just to sort of manage your your um, comments because you you either let everything go on and then you have to go and delete all these spam uh, comments, or you you run an approval loop and then you have to go through and you know approve them. If people want to comment to me, I I sort of give them my Twitter handle. Um, People are more than welcome to join, um, you know, various sundry slacks that I'm involved in if, if, if they come to the right channels, as it were. So um, that in itself, it, it's harder to casually abuse me, if you like. I don't get many drive-bys. <laughs> I, and drive-bys from strangers too, which are tend to be a little less supportive than people that you, you have some sort of relationship with. Yeah. So Instagram, for example, I, my account is private. If, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you have to, to ask permission. And I mean, generally what I do is I look at the profile of the person that's asked and, and see if, you know, if there's anything there that makes me think, mm, I'm not sure I want this person. You know, there are lots of beautiful young ladies that want to follow me. Um, and, and their profile seems to consist entirely of half naked pictures and their WhatsApp number. And I'm like, mm, yeah, not really. No, that's fine. You, you do your thing, but you don't need to be following me. Um, so I don't have many strangers in my my Instagram followers. Uh, I get drive-bys from my friends, but, but that's generally sort of, um, you know, banter between. I, I used to play rugby, so our, our sense of humor is quite cruel. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I can't think of the last time. I mean, occasionally, uh, like everybody on Twitter, I'll wander into something. Um, and I'm not frightened of 
of stepping into the arena that people you know tell you to avoid so don't mention gun control when you're talking to anybody in the states don't don't talk about uh abortion or or indeed you know the lack of it um those type of things oh I, i'm not worried about expressing an opinion mm. but i do try and i do try and express my opinion in a way that is as respectful as it can be of the others so um i i think that many of the problems around those questions are because everybody's view has been, become so polemic. So you have, you know, a, lo a lot of, you know, our shared contacts, you know, squeal and scream on the internet in one form or another about, you know, Republicans, this guns that in such a way that I think, well, <laughs> you're, not, you're not actually diffusing anything here. You're inflaming things and that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have my opinions. They are, um, was it TJ, the phrase that TJ uses, um, strong convictions loosely held. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared to listen to anybody's view on, on these things, and I have no right to impose my view on anyone else. Uh, but you do go into those sort of conversations, I think, steeled for it, you know, ready for people to be abusive, because they can be. Brexit is another one. You know, if you talk about Brexit uh, in a sort of UK forum, particularly if you're pro-Brexit, um, or were progress has happened now. The Twitter was very much uh, sort of anti-Brexit. And so, yeah, you can, you, I found myself in sort of punch-ups there where I've been outnumbered 30 to 1 by people calling me all sorts of unpleasant things. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, I mean, I've uh, once or twice, I have to say, I've sat down and enjoyed that. And I thought, okay, here we go. Um, and just maintained a very sort of level, reasonable tone <laughs> and sort of gone back to people who've called me, you know, basically a fascist and said, well, you know, how do you, how do you think our position differs from country A or country B and, you know, try to get them. And some of these people will argue themselves into knots. <laughs> and I remember one, one brilliant one where somebody said, well, everybody knows the UK is not in Schengen. And I said, well, yeah, that's why I was confused when you brought it up. And <laughs> somebody else came in and went, oops, I think he's got you there, so-and-so. Um, <laughs> because it was, you know, he, anyway, he got himself very heated about this thing. And people do, they're very passionate. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, the sort of, I think it sounds to me as though the sort of criticism that you got hit with there was, was A, unsolicited, <laughs> B, unexpected. And you know, there's a certain vulnerability, I think, in putting those sort of, you know, putting pictures up onto the, onto a forum somewhere, <laughs> an internet forum, whether that be Twitter or Instagram or wherever. Do you have to explain what a forum is for our younger listeners? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of like a Discord for the old people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of trying to use it in the generic sense rather than blaming a, a specific platform. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I say, my Instagram is private. Um, I. I think my Instagram automatically posts to my Facebook, but I don't go to my Facebook anymore, so I've got no idea. Um, mm. And Twitter, I think, again, things get automatically posted. But I haven't been posting much, not because I've felt uh, criticism. I just, it's kind of going away for me, um, mm -hmm. social media. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's revealing because people like Cal Newport have been saying, for, for a long time now, you know, if you stop doing social media, you'll be astonished how little you miss it. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, the world continues to turn. My friends still know how to find me. Um, and I just, I, I have a tendency now to sit down and sort of eat a meal and, and you know, forget to take a photo. <gasps> I will confess I did take a picture of the flights of beer last night. <laughs> yeah, well, so would, so would I if I remembered. But I've just noticed with no, you know, effort on my part, it, I appear to be doing that less. Well, that's because you can't find your phone because you get that little mini iPod, uh, iPhone 13. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to figure out where it is to take a picture. Anyway, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I guess for me, one of the things that I don't do is argue on the internet. Uh, I haven't done that since the days of uh, news. What was it? Newsnet uh, back in the days, you know, where you... Oh, went to your went to your forums there, Stu. My gosh, that's getting old. Mm -hmm. But no, I I never really got into arguing on the internet. Uh, my Twitter is carefully curated. Um, I shut it down yesterday because I was really tired of hearing the polemics on Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. It's like I don't care. I mean, good for whatever the result was if it supports your opinion of what happened, but it. I've got no opinion on it. I didn't watch it. Uh, my wife was quite into it, mm -hmm. but I, I could see the divisiveness of even something as simple as a celebrity headline, let alone a shooting at a elementary school or, you know, all of the other stuff that's going on there. So I make a point of not getting involved in that. I trim my list of things that I follow to avoid anything that could be construed as something to get in a fight with. And I've, I've been like that for, well, as long as social media from before social media, because I, I don't want to get there, which I think is perhaps, you know, maybe I live in a bubble and because I'm not fighting that the criticism is, is not as obvious and not there as much. It's just, uh, you know, again, maybe again, I've kind of had a bit of a rough year with everything that's going through with the move and, uh, the wife's cancer. Maybe I'm just a little more sensitive than I mm. perhaps used to be. Um, but you know, people are there. I, I see it with my daughter, um, you know, as a, as a child that's growing up with the internet, people's comments can be cruel and can affect people. So I thought it was worth having a bit of a discussion about and seeing, you know, both from, from that and from work as well. I wanted to kind of broach a subject is obviously we kind of look at it a little different ways. You, you're a little thicker skin than I am, Stu, which is good. <laughs> Well, like I say, I think I, I think I grew a thick skin. Um, and part of that is, uh, you know, business experience. Part of that is, um, you know, working for yourself. You, you are, you are doing the sales and any salesperson has slightly thicker skin than th <laughs> because you have to get used to people going, no, <laughs> that's an outrageous price. Who do you think you are charging that? I, I get that sort of stuff all the time. And uh, well, you know, I've been married twice. That's a good school of criticism. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I say often, uh, I'm self-aware enough to know that, I mean, my wife is a fiery uh, Sicilian and she can intimidate and she can intimidate people and uh, she can be incredibly unreasonable. But she's exactly what I need. <laughs> because 
because uh, I don't need someone to encourage me. I need someone to put reins on me. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's how the, the chemistry of relationships and dynamics work. Um, but yeah, I think um, you, you do in the mon- modern age, you do have to be aware of the importance of not valuing yourself through others. Um, and I think mm-hmm. I talk to, to, to my wife about this a lot. She, she takes things to heart, um, you know, sort of office politics type stuff. She gets very upset by, um, and I, I'm, I'm sort of doing my best. This sounds very patronizing. I don't mean it to, but I'm doing my best to train her. Um, look, look, look at this. Don't respond. Why not? I said, because it's not actually a direct request. Just ignore it. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. And if you do, you don't have to express it. <laughs> you can look at something and go, yep, this person's an idiot, and move on. You don't need to tell them. And I, I think that's important. And so when I receive criticism, um, I, I try and sort of put it into a box. First of all, I, I always thank people for it, because that can be quite disarming, I find. Um, and and I try and, and say, look, I'm... Uh, I'm going to tell out on board and give that some thought. Um, and then I go away and think, okay, you know, is this criticism actually fair, genuine and, and useful to me? In which case, you know, try and find a way of going back to that person saying, thanks for that, that, you know, that, that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Or is it something where, you know, somebody's maybe expressed an opinion An opinion is an opinion. It's a subjective thing. People, people have their own. We don't have to agree on everything. But yeah, I, I understand it. I think if you get criticism that you weren't seeking or you weren't expecting or it wasn't in your sort of professional line, then I think it can be a bit blindsiding. <laughs> it can be a bit, whoa, what, what do you mean? I've just posted a picture of, you know, of my lunch and, and people go, and then, yeah, that can be a little bit annoying. But do you know what? I just go, oh, they're not having a great day. Mm. You have to be zen about the whole thing which you probably know more about the most i'd say yeah it's it's a tough one and uh why i kind of thought it was an interesting conversation to have i kind of look at some of this uh in terms of trying not to take it personally and one of the things i want to talk about was how to any tips that we could give on how to give effective criticism and realize that not every criticism that you will receive is effective, warranted and, or needed. Um, and then based on that, you know, perhaps as a way that you can view any criticism that you get through the lens of this is not the way to give it, but what is the person really trying to say? You know, I think, uh, one of the, one of the things for a professional environment particularly, and, you know, I think this goes well for the internet as well, unless you're still wanting to yell about Brexit. <laughs> Focus <laughs> on the task, the activity or outcome and not on the person themselves. Sure. And so what that re- means is that you, you really need to avoid you statements and generalizations. You know, I think we've all probably at a certain age anyway, hit the criticism of 
you always do this, or you are this type of person, or, you know, I think, uh, if you've got an ex-wife in the closet, um, we, we've definitely been told that, uh, you know, you aren't good enough or you aren't this, or you aren't that. Those statements shut people down really, really quickly and worse than that, get their backs up. Um, and that, that I think is really important. You know, if you have something that you want to criticize, and I hate to say criticize, but you know, th that is something a critique, I think is a better word than criticize. But if you need to critique something, here is something you did that caused this. Let's talk about it and figure out what happened is a much better way to get somebody on side rather than you do this. Yep. Um, and, th and that is really, really key to social relationships, you know, uh, maintaining good relationships within a workplace, uh, especially with remote working for those of us that are still doing that and a text communication where there is no context, there is no, um, no vocal variety. You can't understand if somebody says something with a smile, you know, you've got to be so careful about how you say things. Sure. And I think one of the things that you also need to do is seek first to understand. So again, avoiding the, you always do this. Here is something that I saw. This action was, you know, here you go. This is a, a, a provable task activity outcome. Why did we get there? How, how did you get there? And here's what the impact was and how do we make this better in the future? rather than just coming in and basically criticizing somebody. Um, any thoughts you would have of how to give effective criticisms to? Oh, God, have I got thoughts? Yeah. So, um, I, I learned this, I guess the hard way. So through, through managing people, managing teams, first thing I would say is that you can't criticize anyone unless they trust you. Uh, you can't get a positive outcome from criticism unless the person trusts you. Mm. And this is true professionally or, or just in life. And here's a rule of thumb. Uh, if you're going to give feedback to someone, you should be saying five positive things for every negative thing. And the key to me to being an effective manager of people was to keep catching people getting stuff right and giving them praise. So giving them that positive feedback, and it doesn't have to be a bonus. It doesn't have to be a dinner. It just has to be, wow, great job. Thank you very much. Because if you can do that three or four times and then something goes wrong and you say, okay, this hasn't gone as we wanted. And as you say, let's, let's work out why that hasn't gone where we wanted. Make it collaborative. Your, your role as a supervisor or as a manager it, this is when you're doing your job, is to help that person learn the skills necessary not to make that mistake again. And you need to see it as a positive learning experience. Sure, it involves some criticism. It involves saying, okay, perhaps what went wrong here was the communication with the client. How could we do it better? That type of thing. That's only possible, in my experience, if the person across the table from you knows that you value them and knows that you're fair and knows that you praise them when they get things right, because then they'll collaborate with you. Mm, good point. And it's equal, equally true in, in, in life. So, you know, I, I don't manage teams so much now, but you know, when I'm out on, uh, in golf courses with all these, you know, 
members. Hello. Um, I spend a lot of time, I'm not a brand nose, but I spend a lot of time trying to be kind, trying to be uh, welcoming, trying to be friendly, trying to build up trust with these people um, so that um, if, you know, we get to a point where I've annoyed them or <laughs> they've annoyed me, we're able to to deal with that, you know, as friends, maybe too much, but as people who have a, a degree of respect for each other. And I, I come across people who are, you know, in their 60s who are grumpy and are grumpy to newcomers and grumpy to other people. And I think, how did you get to this age and not learn these life lessons? Mm. That, you know, if you smile and make eye contact with someone, you'll find it so much easier to talk to that person about anything ever again. These tiny little things that you have to do. And it's all about building up trust because we're all, I think, you know, in this world, we're all slightly defensive. We're all a little bit worried whenever we meet new people. That's quite a threatening situation. In a work environment, when we're doing something we're not comfortable with or something that is conflict-driven, these are all sort of, you know, unpleasant, uncomfortable feelings. Use body language, use engagement. Uh, be a nice person. I mean, I know it sounds really trite, but it's true. Uh, everybody prefers managers who are nice to them. Are you trying to tell me something? Because uh, I, I confess to being a little bit grumpy before we started today. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm because uh, I think you know how we are and how we are with our audience because of this weird world of pod podcasting is is different. But when you're put into a new environment, like you know, you moving to to rural Canada, and you you go to not very much because of lockdown, but as you start introducing yourself to the world and you meet neighbours and people, you know, we all, I believe, make an effort. So you try and smile at people, even though the person's lawnmower may have woken you up at <laughs> stupid o'clock in the morning. You know, that sort of effort that you put into a relationship really bears dividends when it comes to conflicts, whether they be criticism or, or whatever. Because that level of trust is there. There is a, you know, an agreeability between you. And I think that's that's the key to it. It certainly has been for me, is that people know that if if I'm taking them aside to, to give criticism, it's not about them. It's about what's happened. And it's about me working out how I can help get them to where they want to be. That's how I view it. Mm. And people will believe you if you've demonstrated that you will catch them getting stuff right. Because most people that you work with get 90% of what they do right. Um, and yet, I know many, many managers who I'd say, well, when was the last time you praised this person? Mm -hmm. um, um, I said, well, <laughs> you need to be praising everyone in your team every day. Hmm. You need to find a way of saying, yeah, good job. Great job there, Steve. Well done, Jane. Just... People to go, okay, look, this guy sees me. He sees what I'm doing. He sees that I'm working hard. It's important. Hmm. Very interesting. How do you find that? I, I know you perhaps uh, this is a difficult question because you're not working uh, as leading a team at the moment. Hmm. But uh, in in the age of remote work, yep. how, how does that change? And how does that, how does that become an easier thing to do without sounding trite perhaps might be the mm. word. Um, I think, I think it's harder. Um, 
I think, you know, I built a management style and, and many of us built a management style over years of being in an office or a, a store or some sort of, you know, physical work environment where, you know, there were water coolers and coffee machines and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people people could sort of, you know, swing by each other's desk, maybe even go for lunch if they wanted to. Oh, those heady days. Um, I think it's, you have to make an effort. So right now I'm at a stage uh, with this sort of project that you're aware of, but I think maybe the listeners are, but um, where I'm I'm going to be the CEO of a company here. Um, and we're getting close now to being licensed. And that means there's going to be some recruitment issues. There's going to be uh, some communication issues where there's a, you know, there's a big, big office in London that rules everything. And then there's all the laws and regulations here, which are going to govern how that works. And I'm essentially going to be um, a translator. <laughs> sort of just getting those people in London to understand the things they're going to have to do and the differences and all of those things. And, you know, I'm already beginning to formulate, okay, so on a, on a certain day, I am going to set up a, a you know, a five minute catch up with that person. Um, on a certain day, I'm going to do this. I'm going to drop this in a mail. I'm going to drop that and make use of those horrific tools that, you know, I profess to hate, but try and use them really effectively. So, reach out to the guys in London and say, okay, look, my preference is that we work like this. What's your preference? So that we can establish all these things. And they'll go, well, you know, I'll just ping you on Teams. And I go, okay, but you should understand that I have no notification on Teams. (laughs) So you can ping me as much as you want. I won't notice it. Oh, come on. (laughs) 10 minutes later, Stuart in all capitals. I mean, come on. You're not going to notice that? (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, but do that up front and sort of get to a place where, you know, I was on a call the other day, a conference call with a couple of, they're not lawyers, they're uh, regulatory consultants. Oh, that sounds like an exciting uh, oh, yeah. job. Uh, can, can you imagine going to a party with those guys? Well, what do you do? I'm a regulatory consultant. Okay, uh, where's the hors d'oeuvres? I'm gone. Exactly. So I've got them on one side and they're, uh, they're, they're here in Cyprus, um, two young women. And then I had the the sort of compliance head honcho in London, uh, who's uh, uh, he's even older than us, Justin. There you go. Uh, and he's South African, mm-hmm. and so I've got quite a lot of accents going on. Um, he's late to the call, so I'm chatting to the to the ladies about Cyprus, and they're oh, what? So you actually live here? Yeah. And, oh, we thought you were going to move here for the job. No, no, I'm here, and we talked about it, and start trying to break the ice there. And, you know, saying, you know, thanks very much for all the feedback you're giving us on the application. It's really useful. I'm doing a little bit of, you know, PR. That's what I'm doing is I'm trying to say to these people, look, you know, I do I do see that you're working. I do understand that you're really frustrated with us because we keep using this thing called logic. I, I know it's annoying for you because, you know, central banks, if anybody doesn't know, central banks do not follow logic. All right. This is, this is a massive tangent, but... Uh, the, the company is going to be a payment institution. <clears throat> That's not a bank. It's a step down from a bank. But it is a financial institution. And I'm going to be its CEO. And under any sort of decent regulatory regime, let's exclude the Seychelles and stuff, um, you have to be a certain, shall we say, caliber of person with a degree of experience to hold that role. Fine. I've 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 held that role before uh, under various and sundry different 
national regulators. So it's fine. They said, well, your references. I went, yes. Well, your references refer to a company that, uh, you know, doesn't exist anymore. I said, well, that's because we sold it and it was, it was wound up. Um, right. It's just the central bank would like something more recent. I said, okay, well, the references I've sent you refer to me as the chief executive officer of a payment institution, which is kind of what we're doing here, isn't it? Um, more recent references will be from people who've bought paper notebooks from me, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that's as relevant for what we're doing now. Yeah, you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. But but the central bank want okay. <laughs> <laughs> the central bank want that. The central bank will get that. Um, it's, it's hysterical, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think managing people remotely uh, using these tools um, is really hard. But I think the key, the key, 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 key thing is to choose the medium. Mm-hmm. So I've had some some guys trying to manage me, and. Oh, and you're unmanageable. We know this, dude. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm fascinated when they go, okay, um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's jump on Teams. All right, okay, we'll jump on Teams. And I jump on Teams, and I've got my camera on, and their camera's off. I'm thinking, okay, all right, so you want to do this as a voice call, even though there's a video call available. All right, fine. I'm thinking, why have you made that choice? <laughs> or, you know, why have you sent me an email? Or why have you sent me a message on Teams or, you know, whatever? Because the face FaceTime call, video call—that's the phrase I'm looking for—is the closest thing you get to to you know real life. Then you've got a proper phone call where there can be a conversation and context. Then you get into, as you say, the text conversations, whether they be email or on some other sharing channel. The the amount of tone and body language that's involved in those media decreases as you go along the scale, and. Mm-hmm. Um, communication. I'll, I'll give you an example. First impressions. Uh, first impressions are made up of three things. Okay, they're made up of body language, tone, and words. Those are the three things that form a first impression. And I'll give you a clue. Words, the things you actually say, make up seven percent of the first impression. of the first impression comes from body language and tone. That's how you decide if you like someone. That's how you decide if you respect them, if you value them, if you think they're going to be useful to you. All of that comes from tone and body language. And there is no tone and body language in a text message. Mm. In a voice message or a voice conversation, sorry, there is tone. So that's better. Okay, the tone comes to 38%. But even then, if you're on a telephone call, you are basically discounting 55% of the first impression mechanic, which is body language, because you can't see the person's body language. And these things have been proven time and time again and have been known since 1900. And now, suddenly in 2022, we've got a whole sort of ream of managers who say it's okay i can just you know i can manage people by teams no you can't (laughs) um that's why big companies like apple are trying to get people to come back to their offices because Mm -hmm. that 
that contact is important. Now, I think there is a middle ground. I think you can, you should use text. Text could be brilliant. It could be really useful. You use email, I use email, but it needs to be used in the right context with the right people. <laughs> and if you are trying to, you know, bring on a new employee or help someone who's maybe not performing, you need to be in their ear. You need to be talking to them. And preferably you need to be face-to-face -face, either over a video connection or heaven forfend over a coffee. Hmm. Here endeth the lesson from the grumpy old man. Wow. Two thoughts. One, are you making a case for us doing this live on YouTube? Because <laughs> we're, we're missing 55% of the context here, Stu. Sure. And two, boy, am I feeling guilty for moving away from all my staff who uh, I can't meet with as regularly as I should. Hmm. But that could be a good thing because what tends to happen, um, when, when you move to a sort of remote location, um, there's a degree of commuting that happens. Uh, and there's often much greater effort from, from the manager to think, okay, I need to touch base with John. How am I going to do that? Whereas in the sort of, you know, normal commuting, we're all in the office thing. We kind of forget John because he's quiet and he sits in the corner and he does his thing. Um, because you've got him on a list and you're going, wow, how, how am I going to manage John? How is John going to respond best? You've got an existing relationship, so you probably don't need to see him every day. You probably don't need to see him every week. But maybe you do need to have a monthly call just to catch up what's going on. Maybe you need a monthly spreadsheet. You know, it depends who John is. And <laughs> But mm -hmm. it, it, I think it can be really helpful in saying, okay, you, I believe you need to set up a communication schedule. If you're remotely managing, you need to look at your team and say, who am I communicating with, when and how? Mm. Uh, and avoid the sort of, you know, some of the guys that I've been working with recently who think, it's okay, we'll just talk every day on Teams. No, <laughs> your job is not, is not to make me completely useless. Your job is to get out of my way when I'm, when I'm doing stuff and be there when I need support. That's your job. Yeah, okay. I've got to think about this. Uh, hopefully, if things go well with Mrs. T's radiation, I'll be able to go into the office and actually see people in real life. Sure. Real life with a mask, because I'm still old school. But uh, hey, and you know, radiation still immunocompromises a life. So hey, there you go. Absolutely. Ah, boy, such is life. Um, I, I was thinking when you were talking about um, positive um, communication and building trust. Mm. The one thought that I had was, uh, I remember management theory back in probably the nineties was to use the Oreo approach <laughs> for giving feedback. Uh, and I'm not even sure you know what an Oreo is. On this oh, I do. Atlanta. I do. Yeah. Except in, in, you'll be surprised to hear that in British management theory, it's called <laughs> sandwich. I'm going to have to beep that now, Stu. <laughs> So a poo poo sandwich. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, basically that's it. And I just remember, uh, you can always tell a manager that's been to some sort of course of yeah, exactly. you know, managing people and they start off, uh, let's sit down. Okay. I haven't talked to you in how long you want to sit down and I'm going to say something nice. And it's like, you're just braced for the what's coming in the middle. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I think your way of doing that, uh, a regular positive feedback is really good. And, and again, I think, uh, you know, part of this is, you know, building that trust. Um, and I think that's for me, why perhaps professional 
feedback and criticism is easier for me to take than the random stuff over the interwebs yep. because you've built that trust relationship and you know that generally where that's coming from is, is a place of helping you succeed. You know, there's, there's a problem that something that has, you've had some involvement in has created and you need to get that feedback loop in there. Yeah. The interwebs, that's just random people sitting on, on their phones. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole different story. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, the, the array of the Oreo, is it Oreo? There we go. The Oreo approach, um, I think is a, is a last resort because if you need to resort to that, then you haven't been giving enough, uh, positive feedback to people. Mm -hmm. And it's never nice to sit down with somebody for the first time in months because you want to, you know, <laughs> wrap their knuckles. So that's, you, you're in a bad place as a manager. You've, you know, you've screwed up essentially. Um, but at the same time, I, you understand the wisdom of it, of, you know, just trying to sort of keep it balanced. And, uh, you know, as you said earlier, keep away from those sort of you statements and, and generalizations about, you know, you're this, you're that. Um, but yeah, to me, I learned this, as I said, the hard way, I think I was, I got progressively better as a, as a, as a people manager. And that was because I, I learned to understand that everybody in the team needed to trust me and I needed to find a way to catch people doing stuff right. You know, my job as a manager wasn't to knock people down, it was to build people up. And once that, that penny dropped, I think I got better. Cool. All right. Any takeaways? We'll wrap this up. Takeaways on the internet. Don't take criticism personally. It's don't try and win on the internet. I ask questions on the internet and I allow people to, to have their opinions and that's fine. If I don't agree, I won't necessarily respond. I'll generally ask another question. Um, professionally, yep, criticism, take it, ask questions. So if you are being criticized by somebody, I think you, you should say, okay, tell me, tell me exactly what you mean about that. How, tell me, tell me what it is that, that hasn't gone wrong. Just try and, and bring out what's behind it. Is it a, a criticism of the outcome? Because criticizing outcomes is really dangerous. You can make a good decision and get a bad outcome. That happens. <laughs> and if you, if, you, if you want to see examples of that, take up golf. Anyway. <laughs> what about you? How's, it, how's the new golf stick working, by the way? Shh, shh. Um, uh, no, she's, she's all right. Um, she, uh, Mizzy number one. Um, we're getting on reasonably well. She's uh, she's out in anger tomorrow. I'm playing in a competition tomorrow, so I'll let you know. Oh, all right. So no criticism criticism of Stu tomorrow when he's uh, making good choices, but perhaps not having <laughs> the result, the outcome that he wants. Yeah. Uh, no, I I certainly uh, agree with Stu's takeaways on this one. You know, uh, take even if the message is poorly delivered in a professional environment, try to distill that down to useful criticism that you can improve from stuff on the internet. It's, a, it's still a tough one. I, I, particularly if the criticism is already a bit of an Achilles heel, you know, we're putting ourselves out there often posting things and to get criticism for that, um, turn off comments. 
Um, don't, don't let, uh, you know, be a stew, have a thick skin and turn off the comments yep. and don't engage. If you get criticism, let it go. Just don't engage with it because it's going to be a place that's going to go more and more negative and the more it will affect us. Um, you know, and just remember there is always a delete button if you need it. Absolutely. All right, Stu. Cool discussion. Thank you very much for your input on that. No, I enjoyed it. it. Makes me feel a little bit better about the... Uh, miserable people that uh, didn't like my picture. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm back to grumpy again. Never mind. Uh, let's move on. Where can people find you on the internet, Stu? Uh, well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Stu Lennon. I'm not often arguing, but occasionally. Uh, or you can find me at stuartlennon.com or fancy a bit of classy stationery, nero'snotes.co.uk. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? You can find me Twitter, JJ Twyford. You can find me online at justintwyfer.com and if you're interested in said pictures uh j.j.twyfer on instagram i share a lot of stuff i haven't yet shared my flight of beer from yesterday but uh, that may still make its way up there um that's a lot of my sort of life and interesting things i see in rural canada if you have any feedback for us tell us uh positive not critique uh positive feedback uh stationary jason at gmail.com uh, please take a moment to like and review us on your podcast catcher choice as we really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues to help grow the show. Our next topic is going to be reducing friction. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. <laughs>